O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, has it, has it ever occurred to you, when you were sick or hurt, that you ought to be well or healed before you would go see the doctor? And I'm not, the idea that I get sick or have something wrong with me, I do put that off so that I hope to get well, so that I don't go see a doctor. But before you would go see the doctor, before you go to the emergency room, say you're out mowing your yard and you uh, run over your foot somehow, you've gashed your foot, it's bleeding like crazy, you come into the house to clean it up, try to get the bleeding to stop, and your spouse says, we got to get you to the ER. Does it seem reasonable at all to you to say, well, what I would really like to do is get my foot healed before I go. I don't want people to see my weakness. I don't want somebody to see my hurt. That makes no sense at all. And your spouse would likely tell you that. That would probably be the automatic response, that that is absolutely crazy. That makes no sense at all. And you would, again, plead your case. But that makes still no sense. And, and as in that kind of an illustration, if you've got blood gushing out of your foot and you're, you're in, perhaps in, uh, in, in danger of losing part of your foot because of that, the idea that you're going to try to wait till you're healed before you go makes no sense at all. Nobody would think that. Well, the kingdom which Jesus ushered us uh, ushered in uh, is like that hospital. It's like the it's like the emergency room. It's a place for the broken. It's a place for the hurting, the wounded, the emotionally worn out, the battered, the abused, the addicted, the adulterer, the cheat, the thief, the liar, the wicked. The self-centered, the insecure, and the mentally frazzled. It is an open invitation to all those who need to find shalom, that place where you can find rest in the presence of God and be restored so that you flourish in life in the here and now. The kingdom of God has been opened to us by Jesus to those who would be willing to come in and find his healing and rest. Now, we will either respond to this invitation and receive it, or we will reject it. However, that kingdom will continue to be advanced. So this is what we're going to look at today. And our lectionary readings, both from the Old Testament and New Testament, are an encouragement and a support to this in that the word is very near to you. It's not far off. God's given you a word to help you, to heal you, to, to be a uh, healing balm to your uh, weak and worn out soul. Uh, Paul's writing was that being thankful that God has rescued us and moved us and transferred us from the darkness and into the marvelous light. And this is, this is into that kingdom. So we're going we're gonna to look at the first how the kingdom has come. 
So if you will, look at, with me at verse 10. And it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, this, we're, we're, I'm already going to pause there. This is the last recorded visit of Jesus in the synagogue. And it's interesting to note that um, this, this story makes a greater impact because it makes bookends to his ministry. He began his ministry by going to the synagogue and, and preaching. And then uh, now we're at the end and it becomes a nice bookend for uh, for his ministry. If you will, you're, you're in Luke. Turn back to chapter 4 of Luke. And look with me at the beginning of his ministry as he, as he entered the, the, one of the synagogues. And he was handed a scroll to read, and he read from Isaiah. So this, this concept of a lectionary reading is not something um, new. It's not something I invented. It's not something as old as the Church of England. They handed him a scroll because this was the reading for the day. Now, all these freaky coincidences, when they line up, you say, okay, God's sovereign hand is at work. Now, sometimes I can't explain it other than, oh, look at how weird that is. And, well, how, how'd that work out? Well, God's involved. So somebody hands him a scroll, and it's from Isaiah, and he reads, and if you'll look at verse 17. It says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In verse 20 it says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I think this is just, I just get chills when we're this far into Luke and we look back and see what's going on. What, what, what a day that would have been to be in the synagogue when Jesus read those very words. And you know, people marveled at his words there initially. They were amazed. But then, of course, they turned against him. But now, nearing this end of his public ministry, he's in the synagogue, a synagogue, again, and he's doing just what he proclaimed he would at the very beginning of his ministry. Verse 11 says, this, I'm, I'm back in chapter 13. Verse 11 says, And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So this, this woman was likely a, a regular visitor to the, to the synagogue. Uh, there, there's no mention of, of anybody else making comment about her or paying her any attention. She was probably just a normal, regular attendee other than she had this uh, illness. And where she was bent over at the waist and with her face to the ground. And she couldn't hide her infirmities, which plagued her for some 18 years. Now, modern speculation is that she suffered from a disease, which I couldn't pronounce, where the bones in her spine fused together and created her uh, condition to be bent over. 
And so likely, as time went by, she perhaps was bent over even more as time went by. And yet, with her face to the ground, uh, she was coming to the synagogue. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, she walked about as if she were searching for a grave. And no doubt, she likely would have liked to have been in a grave from time to time after that long of that kind of suffering. But she, came, she, she would dust herself off and come to the synagogue. It would have been easy for her to stay at home. It would have been easy for her to not be out where everybody was gathering. But though her physical outlook was down, her spiritual focus was up. She sought to bring her worship before the Lord. She wasn't really concerned about what man thought. She wanted to please and praise her Lord. When the synagogue that day, the Lord met her and addressed her very need. The kingdom came to bear in this woman's life that very day. In the presence of Jesus, she found healing, a grace beyond measure. Verse 12 says, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Jesus, when he saw her, he had this compassion. And we, we hear that, we'll read that frequently. And, and to get an idea of who God is, is to see who Jesus is. To read who Jesus is, is to see the world through a set of eyes which are foreign to us. He sees people and has compassion on them. He recognizes their struggle and has compassion. He had this full ability to love man because he had the full ability to love God. And he loved God perfectly. And we talk about that, the two, table, two tablets of the law, or the two tables of the law, that the one points us to God, and the other points us to man. And in order for us to love man, we must love God. With his perfect love for God, he had perfect love for man. And he pronounced her freed of her brokenness. But it could be that she stayed bent over even out of habit, and maybe that's when he reached over to her and laid hands on her. Verse 13 says that he laid his hands on her and she was made straight. The people there witnessing all this would have gasped at this miraculous sight. She, knowing that she had received a gracious healing, glorified God and praised him. This revealed her heart that was full of devotion full of love for her heavenly father. This woman enjoyed the divine healing power available in the kingdom of God. This is a demonstration of extraordinary power that has been healing the brokenness deep within of those who would trade their kingdom for his. Jesus sees us in our need. He not only sees the outward physical needs, but he also sees the deeper hidden things in the recesses of our hearts, in the recesses of our souls. That brokenness and those things that are deformed in our character. He sees that. 
He recognizes that, and He loves us in spite of that. And then He brings a healing even to those deepest recesses of our frailties. Jesus sees people who are dead, blind, and lame, and He comes to them, brings them into His realm, into His kingdom, and says, You are freed. Then those who have been twisted by sin and brokenness, they become awakened to His love, they become awakened to the light of the gospel, and they begin to stand tall before Him, giving Him praise and glorifying God. What is it you've been healed of by Him? How is it that you are glorifying God and praising Him for your healing? The next thing we see is that the kingdom can also be rejected. Let's look in verse 14. It says, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which you ought to be in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So now though the need for all is the same. That's all people, all times, everywhere, because Romans, Paul in Romans tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have the same need for that same ER visit. But so many of us want to be cleaned up or healed before we go in so that others don't see our weakness. Or if we come in, we may resist His grace. In the Reformed faith, we talk about an irresistible grace. But the reality is, is there is a grace that... There, I, I think when God calls you, He will get you. That's what the irresistible grace means. It's why we call Him the hound of heaven. But beyond that, grace in our daily lives, we can resist over and over and over again. And sometimes we resist His grace because we're afraid what others may think of us if they knew about our brokenness. So, we may not want to come in. But this is the same. We all have that same diagnosis. We all have that same need. But this ruler is so concerned about keeping the rules and the law that he doesn't even recognize that the healing is even taking place. I mean, he does in the sense that it's given him something to be aggravated about and yell about. And, and even when he does, he's cowardly about it. He doesn't yell at Jesus, who did the healing. He yells at the people. He yells at the people and tells them, people, there are six other days you can be healed. Can't you just do it on those other days? This revealed his heart for the Lord. It's bad enough that um, evidently he didn't have compassion on the one who was ill. And he didn't um, seem to be able to minister to her in her need. But then even in her healing, he had no voice for praise. He, he, didn't, he didn't praise God because she was now healed. Like, you know, we've been praying for this for 18 years. That happens to be on the wrong day, but I'm going to praise God anyway. That's according to what we read, it appears... 
There's no thanksgiving in him at all for what he has just witnessed. And so his reaction is to turn to the people and yell at them for not coming on the right day to be healed. This is, this is very similar to when we talked about the Good Samaritan. And uh, there was a priest and a Levite who went down the road and ignored the man in the ditch. And, it, and according to what we understand in customs of the times and the liturgy that they may have gone through, they may have prayed both morning and evening for the ability to love their fellow man. But yet both walked by, both had busy schedules, both had things to do. They knew how their, their schedules preceded their ability to love, their ability to be interrupted to minister to this guy who had a need. And so the one who, became an, who was an enemy became the brother that helped him and healed him. This man's response revealed his true character, and it showed the exact opposite of what we just saw in Jesus, where he was not able to love his fellow man because he didn't love God truly. He thought he loved God, and he thought he loved God by keeping rules and then enforcing those on everybody else. But the reality is is he knew nothing of grace. He had missed the heart of God while the kingdom was in his midst. So Jesus responds to him, as, as you might expect, and he addresses the leaders of the synagogue. And in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So these, these Jews, because they were keeping the law so well, they had, all, they had all kinds of laws written down about caring for animals and what could be led out by a leash or not, or a lead, or a nose ring, or, um, or, or whether it could be out at all. Um, there was a, a donkey couldn't go out without its saddlecloth if it were if it were not fastened prior to the Sabbath, or with a bell, or with a ladder yoke, or with its uh, neck strap on. They had this great attention to the care of animals and all these details about caring for those animals on the Sabbath. But to heal this woman to this man was out of line. And Jesus calls them hypocrites because their priorities are so messed up. And again, they... They, they missed the heart of God in the midst of this. They were concerned with keeping the rules which they developed because they thought they knew the heart of God. But in the midst of this, as he's trying to enforce this, he and the rest of the leaders of the synagogue were put to shame. And when that happened, the people were rejoicing because of what they'd seen happen with the Lord. The kingdom has come. Some will accept the invitation, and they'll come in and be healed, like that woman. But then some will reject the kingdom, choosing rather to rely on their own wisdom and their own strength. 
But even so, the kingdom will be advanced. So we look in 19. He said, therefore, I guess that's 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened. This kingdom power was displayed through these, this woman's healing. In spite of the opposition of man and Satan. Yet the kingdom will continue to grow. But what will that look like? What kind of form would it take? Some Christians in uh, history, some pastors, theologians, speculated that Christianity would grow and uh, continue to do so so that it would become the dominant faith in the world. And in that, in that kind of regard, it's like, okay, Christianity is growing. You can see it is. You better just hop on board because, you know, and, it's, and, it's almost, and there is the church militant, but you extrapolate these things too far. And it's like, okay, it's coming at you. You better get on board or get out of the way. This is one thought. Others see the kingdom coming uh, to bear through political structures, through governments, um, have these governments run by Christians obeying Christian principles, and then we have Christian nations. And we hear this a lot. Uh, here. We hear it a lot. Um, and and I, am, I am a fan of being a patriot and patriotism. But when we mix Christianity and patriotism together, we have something that's, I don't know, kind of weird. And, it, and it's a syncretism that goes on, and it's very, it's very prevalent here. I'll tell you about that about several things. But this one concerns me. Because I think it's a wrong view of the kingdom. Do, if we have a, a, a government official running for office, and he's, uh, or she is a Christian, would I likely vote for that one versus the non-Christian? Yes. And should you? Yes. But the kingdom is not going to come to bear because we become a Christian nation. The kingdom does not come to bear because we were founded as a Christian nation. The kingdom comes to bear in a very individual way. We, we just saw this. We just saw this. As this kingdom comes to bear, I, I think these parables, where they've been stretched in wrong ways, I think, they're, I think we're asking too much of the parable. I think what this parable is saying is God's healing hand, the kingdom of God, comes and it's going to grow. The, the, the mustard seed is something you barely see with an eye, yet if it's planted, it will grow into something like a tree that could, many birds could nest in. That's something significant out of something little. Okay, that describes the kingdom of God. A little bit of yeast will do amazing transformation to a whole lot of flour. Very little bit of yeast, whole lot of flour becomes transformed because of the yeast. He says this is what the kingdom of God is like. Well, the woman was healed. And I think this is an example of how the kingdom works. You have been healed. You came into the kingdom. 
God comes down, reaches into our souls, and draws us to him. We respond, come into the kingdom, and his gracious mercy is then applied to us. And we have the ability to follow in his way and and be healed. We have the opportunity to set under his word and receive that healing balm to our broken soul. This is a very individualistic way to look at that. But you individually have been drawn into the kingdom. You individually are being healed. But then we collectively have an influence on society. Yes. And it's because of the Christian's transformation by Christ alone, then, that this person, who is now a Christian, wants to preserve society and wants to see things operated according to God's will. So I think this personal aspect of the kingdom of God has got to be understood. This, this personal aspect, as he's worked in you, he's worked in me, he brings us together to create a people who love him and want to respond to his grace by giving him glory and praising him. And then, because this is finally where we're finding life to the full, we've been looking for it elsewhere all our lives, we come into the kingdom And we say, oh, finally we read John 10.10 that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. Oh, this is what abundant life looks like. So the abundant life was not me and my greatest vacation. The abundant life was not me and the greatest pizza I just made last night on my grill. The abundant life is this thing of being in the kingdom, submitting to God's will for us. It's not, un, it's, not, it's not wrong for us to enjoy good things. It's not wrong to have a great vacation. But the abundant life or life to the full is this being in relationship with him, being reconciled back to him so that we can live according to his will. This is kingdom power. It's that Jesus sees us as we are. He sees us in our need. He recognizes our hurts. He recognizes our twistedness and brokenness. And he says to you, and he says to me, you are freed. Let us rejoice in that good news. And then, as we're glorifying him, may we become agents of his grace by telling others of this good news, inviting them into his kingdom, that they too may be restored and renewed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.